Welcome to the 20th episode of the Swans Blog Swans Cast. In this episode, I am joined by Heather Quinlan, former Sydney Morning Herald journalist. Heather, how are you? Yep, great, Justin. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm uh, really happy that we're into the 2018 season after a quite a long uh, summer break. Yeah, it has been a really long break. It's uh, the six months in the end. Would you say, was it worth it? <laughs> Well, I guess it was worth it from the perspective of the players. Obviously, all needed a break, yeah. but it's hard on the long-suffering supporters who have to make do with a bit of a bit of cricket. A bit less said about that, yeah. the better, and the and the tennis and the golf <laughs> and the whatnot. So, yeah, en- enjoying enjoying the footy. Yeah, it has been a pretty good weekend uh, for me. I would say this six months has been worth it given the way that we started the season. And it was a pretty good game, to be honest. Uh, West Coast brought a lot to the table. They certainly performed better than their JLT expectations would have set. So I'm pretty happy with that win. Yep. No, same here. And let's face it, anything has got to be better than, uh, than the first game of the season that we had last year. Yeah, absolutely. And... Now that Owen is shrinking in the rearview mirror, we don't even have to worry about that anymore. So no repeat of 2017. Fantastic. We're good to go. Oh, we certainly are. We've actually got a pretty massive match coming up this weekend, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Mm -hmm. But first off, I would like to get into our heroes and villains. So, Heather, if you could, please give us your hero and your villain for the week or the round. Well, uh... I've actually gone for a hero not playing for the Swans because I, I feel oh. that I I feel like that I know what you, who who your hero is going to be um, a fairly obvious one Justin I'm I'm actually going for Pat <laughs> I'm actually going for Patrick Cripps and this is partly yes. because um, I hail from Western Australia originally and Patrick Cripps is indeed a fellow West Aussie he was he had a magnificent game for Carlton. Um, the other day, he was pretty pretty fantastic. Actually, I, I'd say he was better on the day than Dustin Martin. And there's not many yeah, definitely. midfielders that can come out of a match against Richmond and go, "I bested uh, Dustin Martin on the day." Not that Dusty was bad, but but Cripps was really good. He had oh, he, he had was, 30, yeah. 35, 36 disposals, yep. and twenty five of those were contested. He actually has a history of coming up with. Uh, games where he produces a lot of contested possessions and really uh, as a midfielder he he got the full 10 points in terms of the coaches uh, votes on the day and I I just feel like he was a real hero for Carlton in a losing team but they're actually looking after that first game they're looking pretty pretty solid and I think they'll gain a lot of confidence from having a midfield leader like that as indeed Richmond did last year. Yeah, absolutely. Look, he's only a young man too. I think he's, um, what, 21 years old? 23. 23. 23. So mm. he's around the same age as Bontempelli. Um I, I think he's probably a more valuable player to his side than Bontempelli is. And the way he started off that game, he was unstoppable. He was unstoppable for the entire game. They couldn't man him up. 
And, you know, Martin, he got in and out of the game. He certainly had a better second half than first half, but just the way he was able to impact the contest to get into the game when Richmond were on top and just constantly changed momentum and the flow was absolutely amazing. Wholeheartedly agree with your hero. He was superb. One of the players of the round, to be honest. Now, who would your villain of the week be? (laughs) Uh, My villain of the week is uh, West Coast Luke Shuey. Uh, mm, he, as people who watched that that match between the Swans and the Eagles, and I'm I'm sure that many of our listeners uh, today will have listened uh, watched that match. Luke Shuey, for reasons totally unknown to all of us, um, gave Will Hayward a unnecessary elbow in the back. Uh, Hayward had just kicked a goal. Uh, the result at that point, because it was right at the end of the match, in fact, was beyond doubt. The West Coast had already lost, effectively lost that match. And for him to slam his elbow into the back of Haywood, who was not expecting it, was quite low. Haywood responded angrily. The rest of the team came in, or a lot of the members of the rest of the team came in and uh, let Shuey know that it was unacceptable. And frankly, from... A senior player like Luke Shuey, who's in their leadership group and I think has even been touted as a future captain, uh, I just thought it was pretty poor, to be honest. Yeah, it really was. And, and to be honest, like the umpires, they had to stand there and decide what they were actually going to do about it. And eventually they gave the goal away. And that extended the lead from 23 to 29 and that was it. Uh, it was pretty unnecessary uh, from him at the end. He didn't need to do it. They could have just four goals, you know, respectable margin, despite the fact it was such a close game for, you know, basically three quarters. Yeah, so, yeah, look, I, I agree with you, Bill, and it's a good one. Yeah, and well, the other thing too is that, uh, again, no doubt our listeners would have would have watched that game and listened quite amazingly at the incredible amount of booing that went on from the uh, West Coast supporters. And they were booing even yeah, at the yep, end of the yep. end. At, even at the end of the match, they were still booing. And I was trying to work out whether they were actually booing the fact that their team lost yeah. or booing the Swans or, in fact, were they booing Hayward for some, you know, imaginary thing that he did wrong. I, I wasn't, no. I, couldn't, I, really, I really could not quite work it out. And I was quite, yeah, I was quite amazed at the, um, the booing capabilities of the West Coast crowd. They just seemed to have lost the plot a bit there at the end. And, yeah, I just don't, I just, considering that there was a lot of excitement about, the return of Nick Natanui and, and yes. what have you. I just, I just thought it was all quite a bit, a bit negative and a bit sour, really, at the end. It really was, yeah. Look, um, can we say that's a, a dual villain, West Coast Eagles crowd and Luke Shuey? Yep, yep, I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> and what, what about your, your hero and your villain? Oh, look, um, my hero, people obviously going to go Lance Franklin. Um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm kind of like toing and froing because he was freakishly good on the night and it's kind of like yeah should I shouldn't I but I think for the Swan supporters we're going to have to go Franklin as the hero right next to him is Parker they had such an epic duo a tandem in the match that their influence was a mile ahead of literally anyone else on the on the ground Lance Franklin's game was so good in fact it was more than twice as good according to fantasy rankings AFL player ratings um champion data it was that good that no one was within 50% of him it was except for Parker of course whose second half was phenomenal so with those two players we would not have won yes and that's great and 
I hate to bring in a tiny element of negative here, but I really hope that uh, our mighty swans are not going to rely on a bag of eight every yeah. week from Lance <laughs> yeah. Franklin because, <laughs> because yeah, it's too much. Our forward line really needs to function, um, yeah, collectively. And obviously, when Franklin's going nuts like that, and he he did most definitely was the hero of the week uh, for many many people. Um, this week, I, I just feel that um, when he's on song like that, you've obviously got to just let him go at it. But yeah. the others have to be prepared to step up. Yeah, look, it, it's a bit of a hard one because the Swans did go into that game without a forward line. We had Rowan and Reed as really late emissions. Um, Rowan was kind of touted as up until Friday he might be available, but then Friday he was admitted from the team. And mm-hmm. Reed was still on the team sheet up until uh, Sunday, despite the fact that he didn't travel the team. So... I wrote about it earlier in the week and it was a case of like, I wrote, you know, the Swans unlikely to be troubled by uh, Eagles height. In the end, we didn't even have a forward line to speak of except for Franklin. Hayward played as a midfielder. Uh, Papley played as a midfielder. Heaney played as a forward, but a midfielder as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a bizarre lineup, to be honest. Yep, I'd agree with, I'd agree with you there. And uh, what about your villain? So, I've got uh, two obvious ones. Um, I'm going to keep one short and sharp because I've already commentated on and, and written about this particular topic and it's still waiting for resolution and that is the cricket saga over in South Africa. Enough said. There's plenty of lines on that. My other one is mm-hmm. Max Gorn from the Melbourne Geelong game. Oh, poor old Max. Oh, he would be shattered, you'd imagine. But I remember watching him like line up for the goal there's 20 seconds left. He doesn't really like... He looks like he doesn't want to take it. He just kind of walked in and then kicked it. And he almost put it on the full. And it was only about 25 metres out on a slight angle. So, yeah, look, he had a chance to win the game for his team. Melbourne were the better team on the day, despite the fact that Geelong had injuries. They really were the better team. And, um, yeah, he is my villain. Well, I think I think you're a little harsh there, Justin. And you know what they say, though. I mean, I know where you're coming from, but you know what they say about Ruckman. I, I suspect that a few of his teammates would have been holding their breath. They wouldn't have had as much confidence in him kicking that goal as perhaps they would have had um, with some of their other teammates. But, look, I, you know, I feel a bit sorry for him because the pressure of the world... Is, is on your shoulders in that situation. I, I do have some sympathy, but, yeah, there would have been a few Melbourne fans absolutely tearing their hair out after that. Yeah, they were absolutely livid. And, look, it was pretty funny because on Triple M they were playing a bit of a radio snippet where someone called in and said that uh, they'd recorded a video on their phone of a Melbourne supporter in the pub and he's got his arms up when when Gorn's taken a mark and he's kicked, it, kicked the point and he's... Waited, the sign's gone, he's just chucked his scarf on the ground and walked out, never to be seen again. (laughs) (laughs) Very Richmond-like. Very, very Richmond-like. Yeah, very (laughs) Richmond-like. You can see it in your mind's eye. I love it. Yeah. Now, uh, let's um, let's chat about the game that we played Mm -hmm. on Sunday. It was the Mm -hmm. penultimate game or final game of the round. It was a really awkward time slot. Thankfully, there's not going to be any more after this weekend. No more plus three-hour sort of shenanigans. But the 4.20 p.m. Western Standard Time is not a great time slot for Sunday night viewing, in my opinion. But regardless of that, 
we christened the stadium with a win. Can't complain. No complaints whatsoever there. And it was interesting just harking back to what you were saying in relation to the Swans forward line. And based on that, if you just looked at that alone, uh, I don't think you would necessarily have been as confident that the Swans would come up with this win. They were, tra- yeah. they were travelling. It's a hard match to win. They've lost a few over in the West in the last couple of seasons. Um, and I think to go in there, considering they had a couple of outs, you know, fairly close to game time, to travel, to go to the new stadium, there was a lot of hype in WA about the stadium and, in fact, about the return of Nick Natanui. I think to actually come up with that win was fantastic, quite outstanding, and really, we, you know, you've got to say thank you, Lance Franklin, and thank goodness he was on. <laughs> uh, not that there weren't other many, many other great contributors, but uh, it, it's a great thing that he was sort of on fire from the start and was really obviously motivated because yep. uh, I think we needed a bit of momentum. Um, yeah, we and, certainly did. And, and, that's, and, that's what, and that was fantastic, particularly because... The Swans, let's face it, don't have a, a fantastic reputation for starting their season uh, well. They tend to start slowly and kind of build. So, uh, fantastic effort from the Swans, and 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 they came they came good, really. Um, after yeah, in the last quarter, particularly after sort of going to sleep a bit in the third. <laughs> Look, uh, falling asleep in the third is definitely Swans football. Uh, let's face it, we've uh, seen too many games where they've controlled it um kind of thinking back to uh possibly Essendon last year I, I don't know if you uh, watched that match I might have watched that match about five six goals up or so or no about four and a half goals up and then it just went yeah we're going to go to sleep now we've got this one and Essendon kicked seven in a row uh West Coast not too dissimilar I think they kicked six out of seven yes so, yes I did yeah they got on a big run and I think it was look it wasn't that they just kept on kicking goals throughout the quarter they kicked three in the last two minutes, and they kicked two in the last 30 seconds. Uh, there was a couple of uh, shonky decisions, uh, especially when... I'm not quite sure who did the tackle. It might have been um, Heaney or Hewitt did the tackle out on the wing. And the guy clean dropped it. Uh, one of the newer players just dropped it. They called play on. Uh, this is right before mm-hmm. Nick Smith got driven headfirst into the ground. Uh, the the ball got turned over, then it was driven deep. Nick Smith grabbed the ball, didn't even take a step, and Nick Nat just drove him headfirst into the ground. It was um, a couple of really bizarre decisions. But look, um, Nick Nat, he was fierce, and you wouldn't even you know, think that he hadn't been playing a game for 18 months the way he hit the ground. Uh, he was amazing. But uh, yeah, you're right, without Franklin... <laughs> That was definitely a different result. Yeah, I think so. Um, and getting back to Nick Nanui, generally as a football fan, I'm thrilled to pieces to see him back playing because I think he's just one of those players that people actually go to the football to watch. Yep. Yep. He's certainly made a noticeable difference to the Eagles in terms of their their kind of confidence. And... Um, yeah, and I, I just welcome him back to the AFL because, I, and I really hope he he has an excellent season and and stays healthy because I think players like he and Dustin Martin and Eddie Betts and you know, Lance Franklin, these are the, this is the reason why people pay money to go and watch Absolutely. football. And I, I thought the West Coast really they put it put in a pretty good performance. They did go missing a bit in in patches. Um, their midfield. 
did very, very well, um, even though they weren't as highly rated as the Swans mids. And just like to put in a good word for Callum Sinclair. There's been obviously yes. a fair bit talked about in relation to the Swans ruck stocks uh, following the terrible injury to Sam Naismith. But I thought that Callum Sinclair, who obviously had a fair bit of weight on his shoulders, he he held up pretty well in the ruck. He, he really did. He went okay against Natanui. Uh, well, okay to good against Natanui, yep. and he and he really was fine against Lysette. Lysette was gave nothing, I don't think, in in the ruck. So well done to Callum Sinclair, and and good on him, and 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 sort of keep up the good work. Yeah, look, uh, Sinclair was definitely one of the better players uh, for the Swans. A lot of people would look at perhaps his hit-out stats, and I know there was a lot of commentary about it after the match, going, oh, you know, he's pretty useless not getting any hit-outs. And the commentary team were kind of talking about the fact that the Swans got smashed in the hit-outs. But the one thing they didn't really discuss was the fact that the Swans absolutely took the Eagles to town on clearances, especially center clearances, and despite the fact that Nick Nat was getting his hands to the ball, uh, he wasn't getting many clean sort of hitouts to advantage. And I think Swans had maybe the first four or five set of clearances. Yes, I did. And Callum Sinclair negated a lot of um, Nick Natanui's uh, yeah. tap outs, and, and I think that that was that's a win. From the perspective of Sydney, that's a win. If, if Nick Natanui isn't smacking it directly into the arms of one of his own teammates who then gets a clear clearance, that's what I call a win in the ruck. But if you can get a hand in there, if it's not coming out clean, if it's just falling to the ground, if it's a contest there, in my mind, that's a win for Callum Sinclair. And, you know, well, stuff the commentators, to be honest. I thought that Sinclair went well. And... While Nick Natanui had a pretty good start to his, you know, first game back after a season and a bit out, I don't think that he was so influential that West Coast were always going to win, and they didn't. No, look, it was really only that second half of that third quarter when he just went gangbusters, especially the last five minutes, and that was like basically Nick Nat at his best. But he could only bring that for a very short amount of time in a game, and you always knew that that was all he could really do was five to ten minutes of, like, pure, really good football once he got, you know, some conditioning into him. Sure. Um, in the end, he only spent 54% of time on the ground. So, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, so, if we have a look at some stats, uh, between Nick Nat and Lysette, they had 65 hitouts. But, there is a very big but. Callum Sinclair had more inside 50s than both of them combined. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also, he didn't have more tackles, but he had, let's see, rebound 50s, uh, less, he had one less rebound 50, but he had the same amount of clearances. He had one more center clearance and he had one less disposal than all of them combined. Yeah. And yeah. you chuck in towers and the, the two swans rocks apart from hit outs beat them, I'd say pretty comfortably. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. No, I think uh, I think that Callum Sinclair gave uh, as much as he could, and you know it's not his fault that um, you know Naismith has got a terrible knee injury. I, I yeah. think he he did pretty well against a classy um, ruckman there in Natanui and uh, can hold his head up high uh, this week. 
Absolutely. And, and yep. moving right along, Justin, I know that you would like to mention the efforts of uh, one Luke Parker in this game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, uh, he was, in my opinion, uh, the best player of the second half by some margin. And if you had a look at the AFL ratings, I know I posted him in a couple of articles that I did today. Uh, I think one yesterday as well. His last quarter was one of his career best last quarters. It was absolutely phenomenal. Um, especially that goal right at the end of the match that clinched the game for the Swans. And to be honest, it really should be match of the year. Uh, sorry, goal of the year. So, yeah, look, the uh, the drive that he provided the Swans from the center was critical. Uh, he was able to turn the tide. He was able to break contests. And he just did so much for the Swans midfield when Heaney faded. Uh, Kennedy was kind of fading. Kieran Jack was fading a little bit. So I, I thought he stepped up big time. And on Kennedy, that goal in the last quarter through traffic, I thought that kind of turned the tide a little bit more towards the Swans and allowed them to get a little bit of control in the game, especially with about 11 minutes left, I think. Yep, totally, totally agree with you. Kennedy did have a last good last quarter, I, I thought, that he yeah. was definitely very involved. He was trying to lead by example, uh, which is what you'd expect. But Parker was just so hard and threw himself into it. And I think that goal, um, which for all of you who would have seen it, uh, obviously he sort of... Uh, Callum Sinclair went for the mark. He didn't quite take it. He did a very good job, brought it to ground. I don't even think uh, Parker even had actual possession of that ball. He no, just sort of, never. He just got a hand on it and then just did the old uh, bicycle-style soccer <laughs> kick over his head and just produced an incredible goal yep. uh, that everybody's been, everybody's been talking about. And um, it's those kind of things of those kind of actions that really um, uh, inspire your teammates. And I, I think at that point they were up maybe 10 points, went up 16 points. And by that stage, yeah. that really was a big kick in the guts for the Eagles because they knew that they got within five points, but they just really weren't able to go on with it in the last quarter. I think the Swans um, probably had a pretty good talking to in the three-quarter time from the coaches. Yeah. Yep. And really, just came out with a with a totally different mindset to the one that they'd had in the third quarter. Well, something that uh, it has been a bit of a trend in the first round is that the team that usually goes ham in the third quarter burns out in the last quarter. So, like with West Coast pressure and how much effort they're putting in, and you know, uh, just watching them bust their guts to get to every single contest and every single ball in the third quarter, I was. A little bit nervous, but also thinking as well, you know what, they've spent so much energy trying to get back into the game. They haven't taken the lead. Swans still have the lead. There's every chance the Swans are going to kick away in the last quarter. And it was still really close uh, for about 15 minutes, but then sort of the Eagles had faded at that point and the Swans were just able to get the ball and control the ball reasonably comfortably, but still not that far ahead. Yep. Absolutely. I, I think we need to probably, in relation to the Eagles, because the Swans do play them again at the SCG later on this season, I think we need to um, uh, keep a watching brief on West Coast because they've still got Josh Kennedy to come back into the team. Um, this is the man who went very close to winning the Coleman yep. last year. Um, so, yeah, let's not... Let's not sort of get too overconfident in relation to West Coast. I think they're going to be still a very good outfit this year. Yeah, and look, that game is going to be uh, round 13 um, at the SCG, so that's going to be a, a 
absolutely epic game. Uh, we do have a very good record over them at the SCG, so I would still be quietly confident. And um, just in case no one has figured this out, this is for all you uh, listeners. I believe Sydney can win every game, and usually by about 100 points. Even during season 2008 and 2009, I still thought we could do it. Not, of course, that you're in any way biased. No, Justin. not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I start this if I wasn't? <laughs> Look, uh, that game was a terrific all-round performance. Uh, Lloyd was excellent again. Uh, Smith was probably the third best player on the ground. And it's going to be really interesting when it comes around to the Bob Skilton uh, votes for the game. Because I think it's going to be... I think it might honestly be Franklin, um, Parker, Smith, Lloyd, Heaney, Kennedy... Um, in that order, because Lloyd and Smith were just fantastic. Yep. Yes, I, I I'd agree with that. Yep. No, no more comment to make. I think you've summed that up well. Yeah. Look, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, and it's something I wrote about it in um, neither the match report or the blog piece I did yesterday was uh, Nick Smith looked like he was playing without an opponent for most of the match, and even if they put one on him, he might as well just sat in the stands because he wasn't doing anything. <laughs> right, okay. That, that, he just looked like he had the ball in a string in the back pocket. It just didn't look troubled. So Yeah, no, he didn't. I agree. No, look, um, we'll do a, a bit of a wrap around the leagues. And look, there is some injury news coming out from, from the weekend that was. And some of it is quite, um, I guess you could say, a little bit tragic. Um, for us in our next match, we'll say it's kind of tragic, but kind of fortunate. Uh because it kind of throws Port Adelaide out a bit. They've got uh, Paddy Ryder, who's got an Achilles injury, and he's out for at least six weeks. Yeah, so that's uh, it's going to be hard for them, but they're looking at potentially playing uh, Westhoff, um, maybe Dixon, maybe Watts in the ruck. So probably you most likely see a Westhoff-Watts uh, combination in the ruck and Dixon taking it in the forward line. But what do you think about Ryder being out, Heather? Um, well, I feel quite sorry for, for Port because they obviously missed Paddy Ryder when he had to sit out um, a season due to the yep. ongoing fallout from the uh, Essendon drugs saga. And a player, Paddy Ryder, potentially is actually a match-winning ruckman. There aren't there are only a couple. There are only a couple of those in the league as as, as it stands. And for Ryder to have a um, bad injury, he's got an Achilles problem, um, is, is not good for Port. Port have been tipped by many pundits as being a finals bound this year. They seem to have yeah. uh, a good team, settled team, enough youth, enough experience, enough talent, and Ryder's definitely a big part of that mix. And uh, So from a Port perspective, very, very disappointing that he's going to be missing. I suspect that Callum Sinclair is doing cartwheels as we, as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because he is one of the hardest players to match on. Uh, it's like basically Nick Nat and uh, Ryder are basically, and if you have Max Gorn a third week in a row, that'll be just a nightmare for really any opposition Rockman. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Ryder is very athletic, can kick a goal, he, he's he's coordinated. He's completely coordinated. He does not look like the Queen Mary when he moves. He actually moves really <laughs> no. smoothly. And he's yep. got springs in his heels. So disappointing for Port that he will not be there. Uh, massive advantage for, for the Swans. But having said that, you know, the whole um, 
uh, you know, Port played pretty well on the weekend. Unfortunately, yes, in, unfortunately in Fremantle, they didn't have um, a particularly strong uh, lineup and a particularly strong match against them. So I guess you have to sort of you sort of take that into account. But they won very comfortably over Fremantle. Um, Players like um, Hamish Hartlett was in very good form in the back line and I, I think that, that Sydney will be um, looking forward to this to this match against against Port at their home ground of the SCG but it will also too be not taking anything for granted because even with Ryder out uh, they've still got you know, a huge number of stars, and I think that you know the Wiley Westoff. He's been around for years. He knows um, <laughs> there's nothing he doesn't know uh, about winning and losing games of football. And I just think that it's going to be you know a very exciting match on the weekend. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it is going to be an exciting match. And look, Port Adelaide did do in Fremantle, and they did them in quite comfortably. But for about two and a half quarters, the match was quite close. It was really about a three goal margin before Port Adelaide kicked away. So. I mean, they've got a very good lineup. Longmire today in his press conference described it as one of, if not the most talented lineup in the AFL at the moment. And they did do superbly well in the off-season with their trading and drafting. Mm-hmm. I think they are going to be very difficult to beat, not just this weekend, but all season. Uh, I actually have them penciled in as a top two uh, team, they really should be aiming for top two uh, with the list that they have. It is a very, very good list. It is consistently good across the ground. Uh, they have a very tall but very athletic and very good forward line, uh, very deep midfield, um, especially with the off-season pickups in Rockcliffe and Motlop. Cheers, uh, I don't know what other clubs were thinking, just giving them picks. And their defense is probably their weak, their weakness, but they still have some very good fast players in there so you never know it's going to be a tough game I'm looking forward to it though but um, yeah it's uh, they're they're an interesting side and I think this is going to be a really good sort of um, barometer for both teams now Geelong have some injury concerns Uh, now Selwood's okay he's going to play this week but Harry Taylor is out for at least eight weeks um, even possibly longer Um, um, can't quite remember what the uh, injury is? It's a uh, foot-related injury. Yeah, plantar fascia. Plantar yeah. Yeah, pla- plantar fascia. It's uh, it, it's a it's a tendon that runs underneath the bottom of the foot. Um, I believe he aggravated it um, during the game, but he I think he already had a bit of a problem with it. He aggravated it. It's incredibly painful. Um, I had a bit of it myself, but in a mild form, just through running. But yeah, he's um. That's not something you can come back quickly from. It's a bit like an Achilles, really. It just it, it takes time. Yeah, look, I had uh, I had Achilles tendonitis and I couldn't run for about four months. And this is going back quite a few years, not recently, but I know what that sort of recovery is like. And look, that's a very big, big hit for, for Geelong Football Club. They're going to be, you know, smarting with that loss. It's, it's a big one. Their defense is going to be in a little bit of disarray. Now, Brisbane Lions have some pretty bad news in that Daniel Rich is going to miss probably the season with a um, ruptured ankle ligament. So that's a that's a bad one for them. Yeah, and, and they lost on the weekend too. So quite disappointing for a club that's trying to rebuild itself to lose one of their marquee players uh, like that. I mean, really, Daniel Rich, even when they were at their worst, you could always rely on Daniel Rich to be leading by example. So, yeah, very disappointing for them. Um, I'd just like to mention in terms of the weekend wrap, for me, uh, probably the match of the round 
non-Swans related was yep. uh, the Adelaide Essendon Essendon game. Yeah. Um, really exciting finish. Obviously, Adelaide were t- to win that game, even though it was it was in uh, in Melbourne, um, and the Crows, of course, were missing their captain Taylor Walker, but uh, and they led really for most of the match, and and most would have expected them to really to come good, but really Essendon just never gave up, and they had a magnificent last quarter. It was such an exciting last yeah, they quarter, did. yeah, such an exciting last game to watch, and really uh, watching sort of Dyson Heppel go to work and Brendan Goddard and and down the back uh, Hurley uh, they were just they were just fantastic and they uh, really came good there and sometimes you know when you watch players like Joe Danaher and one minute he's kicking the ball out in the full and the next minute it's <laughs> it's going straight through the big sticks and you can't quite work him out but look he's still a work in progress but Boy, that was an exciting match to watch, and I have to say that I was sort of cheering them home because, uh, yeah, they they yeah. Just brought a lot of excitement and a lot of aggression to the table, and it's um, interesting to see, really, how John Worsfold is um, really moulding that that team. Yeah, look, I would agree with that. It was uh, it was a very exciting match, and. It was probably not as, uh, I guess, skillful as the opening match of the weekend uh, with Carlton taking right up to Richmond. But uh, once Essendon stopped turning it over uh, for free and, you know, giving Adelaide the ball as much as they could, they started playing, they started scoring, and Adelaide just looked like they couldn't even get their hands on it. I um, genuinely kind of wonder about what Adelaide's going to do this season and, you know, how they're going to go. They, they did lose... You know, a bit in the off-season, uh, Jakey Lever and uh, Charlie Cameron, those are two, or last season, they were two very big players for them. And it was a bit like us losing Jeddah at one point. So um, you can almost imagine us losing, like, uh, these days, let's say, Rampy and Lloyd, nearly. That sort of, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of importance. That's how important those two players were, uh, were for them. So it's going to be interesting how they're going to go. But that game was very exciting. Uh, Essendon deserved to win. I thought their new recruits played well. Uh, Stewart looked good. Everyone looked good. Um, Richard Douglas, he's going to get a holiday for his uh, little hit. Yeah, that was silly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, look, Essendon really deserved to win that. Yeah. Now, if we um, look at the first game of the season, well, even the first game of the round, mm. Carlton probably at one point really looked like they should have won this game. Yeah, I have to say that I thought they were going to run over the top of Richmond, and I think that it's fair to say that Richmond um, weren't on t- completely on top of their game. They they did enough and they showed enough, but I think that they may have been just a tiny bit surprised by how uh, good Carlton were. But um, I just I'm a <laughs> Carlton are an interesting team. In recent years, they've you know they've they've obviously had some bad seasons, but uh, even last season they started out pretty well, but they really fell away badly at the end. So I, yep. I just I want to see. I'm not prepared to rate Carlton yet on the basis of one game, but I think we can certainly say that Richmond aren't you know fully in hangover mode post post premiership <laughs> yeah. hangover mode, uh, and certainly Dustin Martin showed a few. Uh, signs of of his usual brilliance, and we saw some uh, uh, excellent work there from um, Jack Rewalt, including a one of his goals, a dribbler from the from the pocket that made it, it into the uh, goal of the round contenders. So I think 
I, I'm looking forward to seeing a bit, bit more of Richmond this year. But it was a really good start to the um, start of the season, and I think what about ninety thousand people turned up at the MCG yeah. for that match. Yeah, it looked like there was. Uh, did certainly look like there was about ninety thousand people. I will say that I was very impressed with the quality and standard of the football. I think in years past we've been used to a lot of fumbling, a lot of skill errors, um, just uh, very scrappy games of football. Um, you know, poor tackling, uh, poor kicking. You know, turnovers left, right, and centre. And this game was um, really clean, played at a very fast pace, very good tempo. Uh, and it had to come back and the momentum swing and Carlton even taking the lead in the last quarter. So it was a very exciting game to watch. And I think, like you, like we talked about earlier and uh, the podcast when we we're talking about our heroes and villains, you've picked Cripps. He is a star of the future uh, without doubt. And look, if he was ever on the uh, table, I hope Swans go for him because he was fantastic. Yeah, he really, he really was. And I think that when you have a look at how a team develops momentum throughout a season. And this is, I'm thinking about Richmond here because yep. Dustin Martin had a standout season where he he basically he was a beast. He just dominated. <laughs> and, and he actually brought, he just physically almost dragged his own team with him. And because they had that confidence in their star player, they all grew in confidence individually and collectively. So I think that Cripps is the kind of player that theoretically could do the same for Carlton. I'm in yep. no way suggesting that they're a premiership contender, but I'm saying that he's the type of player who can definitely do that. And frankly, we need, and I'm talking from a Swans perspective here, the Sydney Swans need a player, and I'm not nominating anybody here, but they need a player who can kind of uh, produce that week-in, week-out confidence-lifting Everyone, yep. everyone is better because of him, kind of player, to be able to build towards the finals and what they can do there. Because AFL is a game of confidence, and there's yeah, you, yeah. you only you only have to look at the lack of confidence in the Western Bulldogs at the moment to yes, see definitely yeah to to be able to sort of see that um, on the plus side, if you've got the confidence, really you can believe that you can do anything. And, yeah, Richmond, and look, Richmond proved that last year. They did. And look, dogs are way off the boil. And just on your point about, you know, Swans players coming to the fore and lifting a team, you can look at Kennedy over the years. He's done it so many times. Parker in uh, 2016 when he had that unbelievable season. Um, or was it last year? No, it was, it was the Dangerfield season. So it was 2016. Uh, last year he was a bit um, hobbled. But he was so good for that first half of the year. He was head and shoulders above the entire league and he led the Brown Line by, what, like six or eight votes or something. Yeah. Yep. So we do have players, but you're right, they need to be able to do it consistently. Um, the Dogs, they're in a, they're in strife. They're in a really bad place. Now, we can't, you know, jump to conclusions being the first round. We can't, you know, start writing them off like some certain authors and writers and journalists on the Raw have. They've kind of done some pretty, you know, over-the-top kind of posting. But they were dreadful. Hands down dreadful. Uh, the worst thing that could happen to them was one of their main ball winners, Lepatore, going down with a season-ending ACL injury. And, yeah, they would look less said about it, the better. They were dreadful. They deserved to be spanked. And uh, GWS just gave them an absolute toweling. And, um, yeah, look, GWS on top of the ladder was about 250%, and they deserved it. So, look, um, I think another G- game... 
Yep, I think go G- ahead. G- I think GWS um, thought that all the, particularly the midfield, thought that all the Christmases could come at once because they basically did what they wanted. Yeah. Um, no Bulldogs player wanted to lay a hand on anybody on, on an opposition player. There were defenders who registered one or two tackles, which is pretty disgraceful. Well, I think Biggs and Johannesson didn't even register a tackle either. No. And and, and Eason Wood. That's right. And and Biggs is a defender. And and the problem with Eason Wood is that he was being played as a forward. Now, I'm not quite sure um, what the coach was thinking there, Luke Beveridge was thinking, but I understand that he was... Well, he may have been a little bit undermanned, but it, I believe it was through his selections that he felt like that he needed to, yep. to throw Eastern Wood up forward. Um, but Eastern Wood is a fantastic player, but he had no influence as a forward. I don't believe None. he kicked yep. a goal. And as you just said, he didn't lay a tackle. So he would have actually been better off playing his you know, A game down the back and yep. actually you know, winning the ball for his team and being able to send it up forward. I just think that it wasn't Luke Beveridge's finest moment. And certainly from the Bulldogs' perspective, they were so limp in the second half, they didn't want to even be there. Um, So really, they've fallen a long way from their 2016 premiership. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to have a look at sort of how they come up in in the next few weeks. And potentially people who have spent a bit of time in the reserves like Caleb Daniel and Tom Boyd um, may be sort of on the selection table again this week. Yeah, look, if some, if those players are fit and they're spending time in the reserves, then um, I think some serious questions have to be asked of the selections and a, and a senior panel because that is just the wrong team to go into a match with when you've got some of your better players sitting in the reserves and you've got, a, you've got no forward line to speak of and you've got a pretty struggling midfield. Uh, yeah, look, when I tuned into the match, it was partway through the first quarter and they were pretty pretty bad at that point. They weren't, they weren't very competitive even in the first quarter. Um, and I've seen Easton Wood in a forward line. All I, I'm pretty sure I said out loud, what the hell is going on? Why is Easton Wood in a forward line? Um, and the commentator's like, he's coming out of full forward. I'm just like, this can't be happening. Why? Mm. Why is he at full forward? But uh, yeah, look. Um, well, Jeremy Cameron, Jeremy Cameron was <laughs> delighted because uh, he, he ran <laughs> amok and kicked six goals. And really, if it hadn't been for, you know, Buddy Franklin, he would have been, you know, yeah, yeah. definitely the the highlight sort of forward performance of the of the round. But as it was, he looked very sharp and he did kick six goals, missed a couple that he, you know, could have got. So um, interesting. It's going to be interesting in a couple of weeks' time when the Swans play GWS. And yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah look, uh, Franklin at least had some real opposition. He had Hearn, he had McGovern, he had Schofield, he had. That younger centre-half back, he was double and triple teamed and he still kicked eight goals and he still made him look all like mugs. And Jeremy Cameron had basically no one on him half the time. So, look, um, yeah, look, the dogs. Dogs have got a lot to work on. Now, a team that kind of has a little bit to work on, I think Melbourne did pretty well in the weekend. They should have won. If they'd won, a lot would have been talked about them. Geelong has a lot to work on. They are far too dependent on three players. They you got Selwood, Dangerfield, and Ablett. If any one of those players are missing for any period of time, they fall to pieces. And it happened last year, and it's going to happen this year. But the thing I am most critical of is that Ablett, after years of manoeuvring to get out of Gold Coast Suns, finally gets to Geelong, 
And the first game I watch him play, applies literally no defensive pressure whatsoever. He just runs one way. And there was a moment in the last quarter when Melbourne had a center clearance and they just handballed straight past him and he's just casually jogging. Wasn't applying any pressure whatsoever. The ball went forward and they kicked the goal. And I was just watching and just going, mate, this Gold Coast must be laughing. They must be thrilled they got rid of him because, yeah, he got 30 possessions, but he had hardly any impact on the game in the end. And he's not doing any teamwork. So... It's, um, I would it's have, a concern. I would, it is a concern, but I would have to say that Ablett has never really been known for his defensive magic. Um, when you're the son of God, you have these <laughs> you have these abilities, you see, just to be able to attack and do nothing else. But look, um, I think it's fair to say that Ablett would be a bit rusty. He spent a bit of time out. So uh, again, I'd like to have a look at him again. In a couple of weeks' time, you know, three or four weeks of solid play against some, you know, some other some other teams, and we'll see how he's going. I'm a, I have to tell you, I'm a bit of a fan, but uh, I I agree that it's not good enough in the in the modern game for players to be a one-way player. You have to be able to uh, be defensive in the forward line as well as attack. And let let's have another look at um, Ablett yep. in a couple of weeks' time. <clears throat> Yeah, look, McVeigh, he's pretty much the slowest player in the league and he still gets tackles. So if a guy on basically a scooter can get a tackle, um, you'd expect one of the best players, still one of the best players in the league to at least get a tackle. And we play them in five rounds time at the end of April. So Mm -hmm. it'll be a good sort of barometer to see where they're at, where we are at. And we do that um, down at their lot. So... That's uh, I think that's probably enough for uh, around the grounds. It's been a um, it's been mm. a pretty good sort of weekend of football. Um, now I just want to touch on a separate topic, a, a non-football related topic, and you know which one this one's going to be. Yes, but I want to get I want to get your thoughts on this uh, from your sort of like I guess uh, journalist background, and also as a bit of a um, sports tragic, the whole situation with the ball tampering over in South Africa. There's been um, a bit of commentary about the fact that uh, maybe it developed from a bit of a, a, a malaise in the team, that there was a culture where, you know, boundaries were constantly being pushed and they were constantly being rewritten because if it got pushed, it was okay and kept kept on going until we got to this situation. You know, there's people blaming Smith and his very laid-back nature and he just kind of rolled with the punches and he just did, you know, whatever the group was happy doing. Then there's a bit of commentary about Lehman and the fact that he encouraged a lot of this and you know he has been on public record quite a few times being very very aggressive in the approach that the Australian team should take and you know there's that whole incident with Broad that he should go home sooking that was about two or three years ago with the Home Ashes series and you got everything that Warner's done as well especially this series he's just been he's been about the worst headline Australia have had until obviously the ball tampering issue so I'd like to get your thoughts on it, Heather. Can you make some heads or tails out of it? Well, I can't. And as a cricket lover from a very, very young age, um, you know, like many in Australia, obviously in a state of deep depression at the moment about this horrible state of affairs with with the Australian cricket team, um, I think that I've heard it. I've heard it said that. Uh, James Sutherland, who's the CEO of Cricket Australia, had had cause to speak to the team through various channels about poor behaviour in recent times. And when I say in recent times, yep. I'm not talking just about on this tour. I'm talking about in recent 
times potentially over the last year or so, increasingly poor behaviour ongoing um, on a number of fronts. So I'm wondering whether potentially there's been potentially a bit of a lack of um, leadership from the top down. Uh, yeah. I don't believe that somebody like a CEO um, should be um, smacked really for what goes on on the field because it, it's, it is a completely separate thing. But that culture and that leadership does have to start somewhere and generally it should come from the top. Um, potentially, yep, under the Lehman um, leadership there as coach there has been uh, some leeway given. Um, potentially the culture has deteriorated there but very, very disappointing and depressing period for Australians who love cricket and who love their sport because I think what's gone on there has been none of it was just sort of some sort of spontaneous rush of blood to the head. By the sounds of it, it was premeditated, which is um, really goes against the spirit of the game. And really, from you know my perspective, I was really so disappointed when I heard that uh, someone like Jim Maxwell from the ABC, a really respected um, you know cricket commentator and cricket lover all his life was very emotional in the box because he just he himself was so personally disappointed at the behavior and the actions of of players um, bringing the game and the Australian cricket into disrepute. I don't think we're going to know exactly what's going on until we find out the full story at the moment. I don't know whether we have the full story. Um, in social media there has been some discussion uh, from a former New South Wales uh, player, um, Moses Enriquez who, Enriquez, who also was a fringe Australian player and obviously a, a teammate of um, Steve Smith's, suggesting that possibly Steve Smith was protecting Cameron Bancroft who was at the, at the centre of the um, ball tampering, was, that Smith was protecting him by saying it was a plan and that, that Bancroft had, had just done it and that Smith was trying to cover up the fact and save Bancroft's um, skin. I'm not sure this stacks up as a no. I'm not sure this stacks up because um, Bancroft is a junior player, and you, you you can't imagine why Steve Smith would go to such lengths to protect and effectively a junior player in the team when it was uh, exposing himself, his deputy, and also his coach. Uh, I do think that. Um, the Australian cricket team has got caught up in its own little bubble. It's been living in a, an alternate universe where um, apparently the effects of doing this weren't that apparent to them immediately. They, yeah. don't, they didn't seem to understand the, the, you know, the gravity of the situation. And this is, this is very, very disturbing. And, and look, as somebody who is a massive Steve Smith fan and as, as somebody who watched him play for New South Wales and said to herself, this guy has got to play for Australia. He is fantastic. And he's, he's gone on to become the most brilliant player, a world-class batsman, someone we're all proud of. To see him involved in this is just really devastating. And yeah. uh, unless, some, unless there is some way that this can be redeemed, and I'm not sure it can, 
you know, he, he's lost a lot of lustre in many people's eyes and, and I think we're all going to be waiting to hear what uh, comes out of this so-called review that's going on. Uh, James Sutherland is on his way or in fact he's in South Africa now. We're going to find out a bit more tomorrow and in, and in the next day about what's going on but a really unsavoury and sordid um, sort of experience for all of us who love cricket. Yeah, look, it really is an extraordinary situation. And I remember talking to you about this. I think it was roughly around uh, maybe Friday or Saturday. And you did talk about your love for Smith and, and that you're a big fan of him. And so I can imagine that waking up on Sunday so Sunday morning and reading what happened would be a bit of a shock. And it was certainly a shock for me. I um, was dead set keen on watching at least three or four hours of the match before I went to bed on, uh, on Sunday night. And... There I am waking up, going, "Oh, what on earth has happened? This can't be. This can't have happened." And look, I think Atherton um, said it best. Michael Atherton, former um, England captain, he said he just couldn't believe that Smith went into the press conference um, and he had no concept of the gravity of the situation, just how I guess the situation what it was, and just how bad it really was. And he said, you know, when he did the ball tampering thing. Um, and he was found that it actually wasn't a uh, bottle cap, it was something else, uh, that he went straight up to the um, team coach, offered his resignation, and then went and did the press conference. And Smith, didn't he just kind of sauntered in and, oh, yeah, no, well, this has happened. It's never going to happen under my stewardship again. And, and you scratch your head and you're just like, don't you understand that you're not going to be captain again? There is no way on earth you could ever be captain again. It, it's possible you won't even play for Australia again. It's not even a case of it's never going to happen again. You're right, it's never going to happen because you're never going to captain another minute of the team playing on the field again in any format. It's just not going to happen. And I just That was the one thing that really caught me out is the fact that all the players just seem so incredibly naive about the situation. And on that um, Moises Enrique's, um, Enrique one was that there has been a little bit of chatter that the main instigator has been Warner. And... Um, it doesn't matter if it was Warner or it was Smith, it was, you know, Mr. Doolittle. The fact that the team openly spoke about it and went out there with a plan and did it, um, it's just shocking. You can't say that Lehman isn't complicit because there's clear footage. There's uh, cause and effect. He talks to Hanscom on the handset. Hanscom goes out to Bancroft, tells Bancroft something. Ban- Bancroft then gets caught shoving something down his pants, like literally a minute or two later. So it's, it, it's, it's not even a coincidence. There's a clear link between communication of Lehman to Hanscom to Bancroft and then the whole situation erupts. So yeah. it, it's just um, the whole setup just needs a complete refresh and a clean out. And um, look, I genuinely worry about the quality of the squad that we're going to have for our next tour because I don't think we're going to have Warner in it. We're not going to have Bancroft. We're most likely not going to have Smith in it. Um if Stark and Hazelwood are found to be complicit, they aren't going to be in it because um, I don't think they, they'll probably get some time away and we don't want people who are complicit in cheating in the team. So you're basically looking at who's your next best shield players. And to be honest, maybe that's the approach a team needs to go down. Yeah. And I think it really like tars up like the performances of some of the players. Like you're looking at Payne. He's been, he's been fairly decent. Um, Mitchell Marsh had a good first test. Sean Marsh had a good innings every now and again. That's pretty much his sort of go-to. Um, Cummins has been the best bowler for Australia by a mile. The second best bowler in the series easily. And it just tarnishes all that. It's, um, 
it really is a shame, but uh, yeah, look, we find about it, find out about it tomorrow morning. We do, and it's a good thing we've got football to uh, talk about instead, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Now let's <laughs> uh, let's ditch the cricket and get back on to our Sydney and Port Adelaide topic. So early scuttlebutt is Reed is at best fifty fifty. Uh, he has to train on Thursday and Friday, and he has to train in the main training session with the squad on Friday. If he doesn't train on Thursday, pretty much no chance he trains and goes through on Friday. So he's 50-50 at best. Um, this is all from the press conference that Long Mai had this morning. Uh, Hanabry is pretty much good to go, barring any kind of injuries or setbacks in training. He'll be in the side. Uh, Rowan's a wait-and-see prospect, uh, and that's just because he's uh, still out of the side for family reasons. Um as uh, most people are well aware of, so we're not going to discuss those family reasons. Uh, so there may not be any changes, but uh, even if Reed's not available, I think we need to bring in another forward. So it could be potentially someone like uh, Darcy Cameron or um, Tom McCann. And, and, Ma- and, ca- and if Hanabry comes in and potentially a forward who goes out, because uh, I did note that um, Robbie Fox... Um, who has played before, but really as a debutant came in, and he was he was he was good down the back line. Yeah, he really was. I liked his game. Uh, I certainly gave him uh, gave him a bit of a rap. Excuse me, gave him a bit of a rap as well in the uh, ratings. To be honest, I thought he deserved them. Um, I'm uh, just pulling up the player ratings now. The obvious one to come out is um, Florent, and I still think he needs a bit of time to develop physically he's got the skills there's no question about that he can play at AFL level no question it's just that he still seems a little bit I don't know if it's a confidence thing in his body uh he just still seems not quite right for AFL um he's just I don't know if it's a I don't know like what do you think Heather do you think it's a mental thing yeah no I just think he's young um he just goes hot and cold doesn't he goes goes missing in action he goes missing in action and um it probably is confidence but you know you get confidence by playing so it's a it's a hard thing but I think we'll see more of Florida I really like him and really that that I'm just thinking back that ball that he kicked in the one the one that um Parker actually ended up kicking his goal from. That was a beautiful ball, and yeah, Callum Sinclair had um had his hands on it, and he almost sort of brought it brought it to you know ground in his hands, let alone you know sort of bringing it to ground for for Parker to kick. So there's a lot of upside to Ollie Florent. I I want to see him again, but yep, you're right. He he's the one who could come out, and it'll be great to see uh, Hanbury back again. Um, we all love Dan Hanbury when he's in full flight. He's slowed down a bit, uh, fair to say, in the last couple of seasons, but. He brings a lot, brings a lot to the table, and we just sort of love seeing him uh, running around that wing and and kicking to his favourite teammate uh, Lance Franklin. <laughs> yes, and he does it well. Look, the other one you've got, I guess, uh, potentially three candidates for the uh, next one to come out, depending on whether or not Reed or another forward option or Rowan's available. Look, if Reed and Rowan are available, they're straight into the team, and the next one's on a chopping block. You're probably looking at uh, potentially uh, Cunningham. And one of Fox or Towers, uh, potentially, or even Newman. Mm. Um, I think those are probably uh, your three most expendable players. Yeah, it'll 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 come, all come back to matchups, I suppose. Individual matchups, you know, with, with Port Power and and how that all sort of plays out and who's in. So I guess we'll just have to wait to see for um, 
you know, team selection day, but uh, I'm I'm already salivating at the thought of um, Luke Parker versus Ollie Wines in this match this weekend. What do you reckon, Justin? Yes, totally agree. And uh, this is uh, one of the matchups that I have uh, written down here it is going to be sensational. Now they're both um, absolutely fantastic ball winners. Um, great competitors and they lift their teams up on the shoulders at times um you can even uh look at someone like robbie gray who can do it just as good in the midfield as he can in the forward line that guy is a bit of a freak uh you've got boke as well travis boke the captain uh he is still a fantastic player um he gets he's a bit like mcveigh the older he gets the better he gets it's like uh you know some fine cheese and fine wine in which as well <laughs> it's um it's going to be a, i think it's going to be a really good game of some really good matchups um now wines and parker is probably the most important one but i like the fact that franklin's going to have a uh, a bit of a less experienced player and potentially clary or someone else in the back line what do you think heather yeah i i I'm sort of thinking about that too. There, there's, I mean, they've got a few players who can go on. And Jonas is is very reliable player for for Port. He doesn't often let you down. So it'll be interesting to see who does match up on Franklin. But if it was somebody like Cleary, who I have to tell you, I know two parts of nothing about. So, <laughs> so, so to to be absolutely frank with you, so I, I just think that someone like Buddy Franklin really has um, a prime opportunity to. Um, you know, uh, continue on his winning way here and, and, and kick another bag. We won't be sort of looking necessarily for a bag of eight, but you would suspect coming home... Bag of home, ten would be nice. Bag of ten would be nice, but coming back to the <laughs> SCG, uh, you know, I, th- I think that this is a fantastic opportunity. It will, of course... Um, as often the case is in Sydney, we'll be interested to see what the weather's going to be like. If it yeah. is wet, it will reduce... Um, uh, Sydney's through Franklin, his opportunities, I get, I think, in terms of being able to, you know, pull another eight-goal effort out of the bag. But look, look let's, um, it, it's really sort of an exciting prospect and, of course, the first home game for the season, so everyone's excited for it. Yeah, look, I'm really excited for it too. And you're right about the weather. Look, if the weather is bad, uh, it might be that the Swans don't even bring in Reed. Uh, they might keep the smaller team. And if Rowan's available, play Rowan because I think he would be exceptional in the uh, wet weather. So it's going to be really interesting um, which way those matchups go, um, especially for the Swans. Now, I just want to ask you, which player do you think will play on Dixon and which do you think will play on Jack Watts? Um, well, I think the Reg Grundy really has to be the obvious matchup against Charlie Dixon in terms of sort of sort of size and um, uh, maturity. There, I, I, I would like to see Reg Grundy against Dixon. Dixon can be um, he he's can be dangerous. I've seen him kick a few bags for Port. Uh, I, I like the way he plays. He does occasionally go missing in action, but yeah, I, I'd like to see that there. And look. Um, yeah, someone probably like Dane Rampey um, on Jack Watts. Rampey would be a little bit undersized, I think, against Watts. Watts would be the taller player, but I think Rampey's got the athleticism. And um, I think it's fair to say that Rampey didn't have his best game against West Coast. So um, yeah. I, think, I think he'll need to lift to, against someone like Jack Watts, who um, really on his day is a wonderful player. And I think he's you know enjoying his, his stint you know, at the start of his stint at, at Port Power. So let's see how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I don't know if fitness was a problem um, for Dane on the weekend. He did look a little bit flat, so 
Could just be first round blues, could be fitness. Uh, he might have struggled or had a small niggle or something. But um, I don't know if you are aware, but one of the more interesting aspects of the upcoming match is the fact that our defenders give away about on average seven centimeters so mm. watts is uh 196 dixon is 200 west off is 199 guess who our tallest defender is <sighs> and you probably get it wrong hmm you're right oh, it's not Callum mills I wish. <laughs> is it is it Heath Grundy? No. Nope. No. Uh, okay, you By win. one centimetre. Yeah, it's Lewis Malican. Right. Yeah, Lewis. At 193. Mm-hmm. So he gives away a heap of height. Yeah. So if he goes on a Dixon, um, I genuinely fear for rain of goals. <laughs> yeah. That's not to say he's a bad defender, just Dixon is too fast, too strong. Too long of a reach, and Malikan, um he's still quite raw, and he, I think he'd be a bit too exposed yeah. there. It, it may well be that Charlie Dixon needs to be double teamed. I mean, you know, sometimes you just got to go, well, yeah. you know what, we're not really um, sizing up well against this particular player. He can be dangerous, so we're just going to have to double team him. And if that's the case, well, you know, I think our boys are uh, up for the job. Yeah, look, the Swans have had an undersized defence since. Um, since I can remember, I mean, Leo, Leo Barry was never the biggest guy going around. Um, Craig Bolton. Nah. Et cetera, Ted so Richards. Forth. Mm. Ted Richards was only, what, like 192, 193? And he was... He's one of his best career games was against Lance Franklin. So, um, yeah, we've always been undersized, but our game plan has always been to get numbers back, uh, stifle their movement, um, really make it congested and hard for them to take marks and things like that, shut down mm-hmm. their space and move it forward. So I think... Game plan wise, we've got the right game plan. It's just going to be, it's going to be extremely difficult if they get some free open ball moving forward. It will. Um, I think they're going to score pretty freely if that ever happens. So um, pray for rain or pray for the boys to be on fire because either one's going to help us win. Um, Port Adelaide, they're going to be good this season, and this is uh, not going to be any different. Now. As we're getting towards the end of our show, uh, just going to go over the predictions from last week, our good calls and bad calls. Mm-hmm. So on last week's show, we had Stephen Trelaw and we had Miles Stedman. So let me know what you think about these uh, predictions, Heather. All right. So Stephen suggested that Sydney were going to win by 28 points. He had Franklin at two to three goals and he had Papley as best on ground. Well, he was a third, right, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, he was pretty close. Um, he was nowhere near it on Franklin. I don't think uh, many people would have guessed Franklin kick eight, but uh, Papley was not best on ground. <laughs> then we had Miles, Swans by 18. Mm. Franklin scores heavily, so he got that one. And Sam Reed in the forward line. Yeah, well, he couldn't have no. known that Sam Reed was going to be injured, so I think it was a pretty no. good job by Miles. It was a good one. No one knew up until pretty much like uh, Sunday when um, the AFL posted an article going West Ham Reed. Now, my one was once by 30 plus. Ooh, very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got this one way wrong. Eagles would score 55 or less. Oh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a no. <laughs> um, and Franklin would get five goals. That's kind of right. Yeah, kind of. 
Kind of. Yeah. Well, it was closer than everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, no, no, nobody was embarrassed there. Nobody was embarrassed. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, that's that's a good effort from you guys. Well done. Now let's have our predictions for the uh, upcoming round, Heather. So if you could please give me your three predictions for round two. It can be from any game, or it can be from anything, such as. Cricket Australia is our comfort tomorrow morning. <laughs> okay. All righty. Well, um, my prediction is that the Swans will beat Port and I believe it will be under 20 points. I do think it'll be a little bit close. My second prediction is that I think that uh, Lance Franklin is in form. I think it is confident. I think he's going to love coming back to the SCG. So I believe he's going to kick five goals plus this weekend. And my third prediction is that uh, in the Geelong Hawks game on Easter Monday, it is a bit of a traditional match. We do enjoy seeing it. There have been some absolute classics between Geelong and the Hawks. Uh, I'm tipping Geelong to uh, beat Hawthorne, but I'm not brave enough to give you a score on that one because um, they could win by 50 or they could win by one. I'm just not sure which one's going to be. All right, all reasonably safe bets, but uh, probably not that safe. <laughs> now, um, what about yours, Justin? For, now, I'm kind of doing this um, on a whim, but um, I believe that Richmond's going to get the job done by at least three goals. I like it. Yeah, look, they um, they look like they're in some really good form at the moment, so. It's um, going to be a good start of the season for them. Um, Swans by one goal. Oh, boy. You think it's going to be that close? Yeah, I reckon it's going to be down to the wire, just like it was a few years ago when Franklin kicked that 70-meter bomb. Oh, I was there that day. I was behind the goals. Oh, my God. I I almost (laughs) exploded. It was that exciting. Yeah, oh, look, it's uh, that game was mental. <laughs> and then we have got... Uh, I wonder what you think about this one. West Coast Eagles to win by 60 points at Etihad Stadium. Wow, that's brave. Good on Guess you. Guess who they're playing. <laughs> Guess who they're playing. Uh... Let me guess. Playing the dogs. They're playing the dogs. Yeah. Well, based on their performance last week, poor old Bulldogs. Um, yeah. And you know what? But that's still brave, though, because the Eagles obviously have had a very patchy record when they've played in Melbourne in recent times. They've been certainly been hammered by various commentators yeah. for their limp performances away from their home ground. So, look, for you to go for them by 60 points against the Bulldogs is... Is, is really interesting, and I think that's saying quite a lot about the Bulldogs. Well, look, I think um, with the new ground, and they played probably better on the new ground than they played on Subiaco for a long time, I think the new ground suits uh, the play style you have on the MCG and Etihad, uh, and so I think uh, they're probably going to find it a bit easier to travel. It's something that Geelong suffered with at times, especially when they went to the SCG, was just how wide the grounds were, so they just couldn't sort of close down the spaces enough. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Ex- excellent prediction. Yeah. And if I could just add an, an, one addendum to my prediction yes. in relation to the Geelong Hawthorne game, um, I wasn't very brave in terms of that actual total prediction, but one thing I'm fairly <laughs> certain of is that um, Tom Mitchell um, 
Hawthorne midfielder will not record a record 54 disposals against Geelong. That Less will... than 54. Yes, <laughs> that will not happen again. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he may well. I mean, they might not even tag him, and let's face it, he's probably not even a player you tag. Um, Collingwood have had mixed success doing it, um, and if they weren't so, at times, woeful and wasteful, they could have actually challenged Hawthorne uh, late into the match. But uh, look, they they won last year, not tagging him, so uh, he could get 100 possessions and still might lose. Yeah, absolutely. Looking now, I don't it. know if just... Now, before we close out the episode, I don't know if you actually happen to have a look at the um, the AFL player ratings from the Hawthorne-Collingwood game. No, I did not. Well, you would be surprised to find that Mitchell wasn't even in the top five players on the ground, despite the fact he had 54 disposals. Well, actually, I'm not surprised. And the reason being is that um, I like Tom Mitchell as a player and I was disappointed to see him leave the Swans. Um, you know, very understandable situation there from a monetary perspective. But I'm a fan of Tom Mitchell's. But one thing I would say about him is that he does tend to rack up a fair few disposals doing the one twos with yeah. with his teammates and 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 they can be in all parts of the field. I'm talking about in in the back line, um, around the wing area, and uh, it's to me it's not quantity. It's it's about quality. Um, yeah. possessions and quality disposals and I think it was important to note that um, Tom Mitchell did have I believe 27 contestant, contested possessions. Yes he did yeah he did. In, the, in that 54 that in itself is worthwhile noting. The fact that he had 54 I think is less important because uh, I didn't think that he was such a standout player for Hawthorne that he for example um was, I was surprised to hear that he had 54 disposals. So if you're telling me that he wasn't ranked in the team's top five, no, that doesn't surprise me. Well, the thing is he had 34 handballs. So it just kind of hammers that point home that he really was just doing the dinky dinky stuff. And he's got a track record of doing dinky stuff anyway. So he's, um, he's a Prittus. He's a, I'd say he's even a slower Prittus. But Prittus Mark too. Yeah, yeah, that's probably an accurate um, comparison there. He's probably a little bit more talented. He certainly has got the legs on him. I mean, he's he's really got phenomenal fitness. He runs up and down um, the whole the whole game, and I, I think he's uh, a really valuable player for Hawthorne. And I'd I'd still be keen to have him in the Swans team had he had he not left. Yeah, yeah, agree, uh, yeah. You know, he he's got he's got great value. He's got a lot of heart. You know, he's a tryer. But I just don't think that if you'd said to me fifty four Gary Ablett possessions, I'd be excited. Because he, yeah. he, he tends to do a bit more, you know, with his with his disposals and with his with those possessions. Mm, Fifty four yeah. from Tom Mitchell. I'd like to see thirty five, you know, real quality possessions. Maybe yeah. maybe twenty kicks in 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 amongst there, and uh, yeah, a few more inside fifties. But look, you know, he's still a young man. He's a player in progress. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, and you know those games that when Gary Ablett's had over 50 disposals, he absolutely ripped the opposition a new one. So, I mean, that was when he was at his unstoppable best and no one could get close to him. So mm. even if he got 35 on a day, it was 35 quality ones. He was probably going to help his team win nine times out of 10. So if he's getting, if Gary Ablett's getting 50 even now at 10 or old age of 34, he's probably still going to win nine games out of 10. So Tom Mitchell, if he gets 50, you're kind of like, well... He lost the last time they played Collingwood when he got forty odd, so or fifty the last time they played. So 
yeah. yeah, you just never know. You never know. Look, uh, I think that's uh, that's enough for tonight's episode, Heather. Thank you so much for coming on. It has been absolutely fantastic having you with us again. Absolutely, Justin. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been uh, lots of fun to talk about the, the Sydney Swans, um, our favourite team, and also to talk about some other goings-on in, in the AFL. And, and he's hoping our predictions are spot on for this weekend. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, it would be nice to start getting some more predictions right this year. I uh, had a horrid run last year. As <laughs> always guys you can get in contact with us on social media we are on facebook twitter and instagram you can follow us with the tag the swans blog or you can always get in contact with the hashtag the swans blog or swanscast for the next show questions and comments make sure you fire them through and we will answer them on the show until next time go swans go swans cheer cheer